Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 through 19. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it, or the cry of distress. Thank you, everyone. This actually is one of my very favorite moments in a week, Holy Week, that is just full, actually, of favorite moments. When I, when I get to kind of walk you through a week and what all is entailed in a Holy Week around here so that you can know, and at the end of this short speech, appreciate all of the, the folks around you uh, who have helped to put all this together. It really begins on Palm Sunday and the, the choir. It's been, I've, I've really enjoyed singing with the choir and the, all the kids that paraded around, but that's also a lot of work for our children's staff. And then, then really, we put Zach to a lot of work. He has to set up sound, like I think most days in that week. He just has to do something like that. And, and that's when your staff starts to do pull, double, and triple duty. Wednesday night, everything is set up, and while there was no activity in the rest of the building, the choir met and worked for a couple of hours on our, our Friday night work. But again, lots of behind-the-scenes sorts of things. Um, then Thursday night, Dr. Bratcher and Dr. Robin Stevenson Bratcher work us through a Seder supper that, that really helps us to see that sure enough, what we do on Easter Sunday is a, a continuation, uh, an extension of what happens in the Old Testament. There's a really good gospel story there in the Old Testament, and we celebrate that on Thursday night. And then Friday night, one of my very favorite moments, but, but this year was a little different for me. Um, I heard that all the candle lighting and extinguishing went well on um, Friday night. Uh, but there's a lot of work that goes into that, that makes that service work. Thank you to all of you who then came on Saturday morning to help us do all kinds of things, from work in the children's area to work in the kitchen over here. Thank you, Sharon Dykes. <laughs> Probably still washing her hands. Um, thank you for all of you who helped to work in here and do all those kinds of things. This morning, our early service, the Word and Table congregation, just, just set us up so perfectly, and there was lots of help to get all of that set up and then taken down, because you can't even tell that they had a service with, I don't know, 70, 80 people back there today. Just great. And then breakfast was really good. Thank you, Jeanette. Thank you, Rachel. All of that was really good. And then all of this, all of this that was done Saturday morning and, and all of the work that went into not just the music, but the, the backdrop, as it were. Um, I just want to say how much fun. Uh, it is hard work. I always am, am glad for Monday to get here after a Holy Week, but it's, it is really good and meaningful work. And uh, could you just say a thank you now to all of the folks? It's not just your staff, but it's also the other people who helped to put all that together. Really good 
several days. And, and you know, Zach does several things around here, like put together some of our graphics. And, and this is going to serve as our dominant graphic for the season of Easter, renovation. And that is old Ed the bus, as it currently looks, by the way, because we have started the demo process. We are getting some help, and we're going to make sure that the floor looks better than that at some point. We're going to have some seats redone and, and the inside painted and eventually the outside painted. Uh, renovation has captured my mind and heart. Captured my mind and heart. I, I think I know when it happened to um, my kids have had injuries that have required surgeries. And uh, I have gotten the opportunity to drive them to rehab. And uh, at rehab, where, by the way, there is something of a renovation project going on all over the place, you know, bodies broken and in need of renovation and slowly but surely being nursed back to health and put together. That started to really challenge my imagination. But at Mandy Garrison's clinic, where she kind of runs the whole show and it does an incredible work out there, they can only put the TV on one of a couple of stations. Um, for fear of upsetting the masses, right? Well, one of those stations is the HGTV network. And so a couple times a week, I sit there and I'm just sort of transfixed as these geniuses take these broken down, run down properties and breathe new life into them. So I think somehow the combination, Dr. Green, of seeing rehabilitation happen all around me and then on the screen in front of me, renovation happen, I think it starts to speak to my appetite for resurrection, my appetite for restoration, my appetite for all things godly and faithful and kingdom. And so I started watching the DIY network. Now, uh, disclaimer, I am still a danger to myself or anybody else when I am carrying tools of any kind. But it doesn't mean that I'm not willing to try, and it doesn't mean that I'm not willing to look at some of these shows, and perhaps you have seen some of these shows, like I Hate My Kitchen. <laughs> uh, there's several, there's like uh, several of these. This is kind of a, a one in, in, a, in a series. There's I Hate My Bathroom, I Hate My Backyard, I Hate My Pool, and then this is a fun one, Reverend Runs Renovation. This is an old rap star who has his own show where he renovates things now. And by the way, the DIY network or the HGV, HGTV network seems to be a great place to go if your career is doing this, right? <laughs> William Shatner has a show. Jimmy J.J. Walker has a show. Uh, Bronson Pinchot has a show. And our friend Vanilla Ice has a show. In fact, Vanilla Ice has two shows, and I'm not kidding. He's got another one called... Vanilla Ice goes Amish, <laughs> and it's as bad as it sounds. <laughs> but still, I'm interested. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the imagination of renovation and restoration. This is my favorite show, and this has become a, a, uh, uh, a favorite around my house because I, I think we have slowly but surely um, all caught this disease that we kind of like these DIY shows. This one's our favorite, Maine Cabin Masters. And they go off the coast of Maine. Apparently there are all kinds of, of cabins out there in need of restoration. And this Motley crew goes out there and they are able to restore these cabins that in so many ways are not livable. 
Like some of them have been condemned even, and they still somehow can go in and make magic, and I'm happy to report, some of you have been praying about this, Main Cabin Masters has been picked up for another season, so amen, another God is in God's heaven. All right. Here's another one. This is a mother-daughter uh, combination. The, there's an attorney here on the left. The mother is an attorney, and the, and the woman on the right is a construction manager, and they take the worst properties that I've seen ever get restored. Like, they will take things all the way down to the studs as long as it has good bones. And they'll say that quite a bit. If, if there's good bones, we can do something with it. And I'm sort of sometimes annoyed and sometimes amazed by these guys, uh, the barn wood builders, because they do the same thing, only they take, it seems to me they have taken the oldest structures to make something out of nothing. Barnwood builders reclaim and restore 18th and 19th century log homes. We do things the old way. We do things the right way. And everything we do, we do it with pride. We're moving history forward. All new Barnwood builders, Sunday, July 15th at 9 on DIY Network. <laughs> and I still watch it, you know, even though there is that. But what strikes me is there is no project beyond renovation for these folks. There's no project beyond uh, the effort to restore. Have you, have you seen this before, this sign maybe? Maybe it's, it's looked a little bit like this. This property is condemned. So really what this means is stay out, stay away. There is something about the structural integrity that has been compromised, and you are in danger if you are in or near the structure. We, you probably have seen these, this sort of sign in a, in a number of different places. It strikes me that this word condemned might also have been used of Mary Magdalene. And maybe in the same sorts of ways. Couple of different places in scripture, we are reminded that Mary Magdalene has issues. Another way to say issues is demons, evil spirits. Seven. And maybe that's seven, as in one more than six, or maybe that's seven in a way that the New Testament uses the number seven, like lots, like a whole lot. Now, I don't know the, the nature or the origin of her demon possession of her issues. I, I don't know any of that. Perhaps it was something in her family. Maybe something terrible, tragic happened, and, and it left her with the kind of wound that other people might have described as an evil spirit having possessed her. Now, I don't know if there was some sort of a societal thing going on there that takes a person like Mary Magdalene and pushes her so far to the margins that she ends up looking like someone who is possessed by something. She's not like us. In fact, she's dangerous. Don't go near there. I don't know what it is. Maybe it was a disease of some kind. Maybe there was an addiction. Maybe somehow an addiction had carried her farther and farther from what we all would call normal and safe and reliable until finally she's on the very edges of society and might have had a, a sign around her neck for all intents and purposes that said, condemned, stay away. Don't go near this person. Well, the Gospels also tell us 
that the first person to go to the tomb early in the morning, while it was still dark, was not one of these burly, loudmouth disciples. It wasn't Simon Peter. For all of his machismo, it wasn't Simon Peter. All of the Gospels seem to agree that the first person to get to the tomb, and we don't think that she went necessarily to see a risen Savior. We think she went to prepare a dead body. And here's why I think it was Mary Magdalene who went first to the tomb. I think it was Mary Magdalene who went first to the tomb because she had lost more than anybody else had. Remember, she was the one condemned in so many different ways. And she was the one who had been cast aside, pushed to the margins. She was the one who had been labeled by the religious, the believing people, and perhaps everybody else, demon-possessed. Not worth the trouble. Dangerous. Do your religious duty and steer clear of Mary Magdalene. And you know who knew that more than anybody else? Mary Magdalene. But somehow this Jesus character saw something in her. Though condemned, though perhaps wearing that sign somehow around her neck, this Jesus saw something in her. In fact, isn't it possible that Jesus saw something in her before she saw it in herself? Yes, it's possible. And in fact, it could have been that Jesus insisted, and then again insisted, and again and again and again, maybe Jesus had to kind of wear her down, wear down her defenses before he could finally get through and start to do some renovating, some restoring, some rescuing. It probably took a while for the voice of Christ to have a greater hold on her mind and her life and her imagination than the voices who perhaps not only labeled her as demon-possessed, but perhaps in some sense caused her to be demon-possessed. But Jesus did it. Over a period of time, he was able to weed out those other voices, weed out those other voices until finally his voice was the one that got her attention. His voice was the one who taught her to see herself differently. His voice renovated her. His voice restored her. His voice removed the label of condemned. His voice. And then they killed him. Who's they, John? Why wouldn't it make some sense that the very voices that would have been a part of Mary Magdalene's possession or Mary Magdalene's being labeled as demon-possessed, it would make some sense that some of those same voices then would have moved against the purest example of love the world has ever seen. It would make some sense that they would come against the kingdom. Those same voices that still push people to the margins, right? Those same voices that can still try, at least, to convince someone that they are condemned, at least where the rest of the society is concerned. Some of those same voices come against Jesus. And though Jesus had now become the voice to completely reorient her understanding of self, the powers that be killed that voice. I think she showed up to the tomb 
before anybody else did because she had lost more than anybody else. Let's don't skip too soon to the end. Can we at least for a moment sit with Mary and acknowledge that there are some dangerous voices out there. There are some dangerous voices doing some, some terrible things out there. So Mary comes to the tomb and sees that the stone has been removed from the tomb. But I don't think we can assume just yet that she thought of resurrection. I think she thought that something terrible has happened after something terrible had happened. Let's do, let's, let's sit with her here for a moment and recognize that things do happen that push persons, whole peoples, that push a society toward condemnation. There are disasters that might leave a home condemned. Natural disasters, I mean, whose, whose fault is that really? When a tornado rips through more, this is before on the left and after on the right. But it's not just natural disasters. Sometimes it's, it's, it's war. This is Aleppo in Syria, before the war and after. Sometimes, sometimes it still feels like that the powers that be, the voices that long ago pushed Mary toward the edges, that pushed her to the place where she would be understood by the rest of the believing community and the society at large, where they all believed that she was condemned, demon-possessed, I'm telling you, those voices are still out there. The voices that are addicted to power, the voices that are addicted to stuff, who understand power and stuff to be the way that you get from here to there, the way that we move forward, those are dangerous voices and they're still out there doing damage, doing the kind of destruction that we see happening to Mary Magdalene, that we see happening to Jesus. Turns out, in the verses that Mike read for us today, that's kind of the backdrop that we have here. Ancient Israel, they had been exiled, as we've talked about before, ripped out of their homes and, and sent to live somewhere else, by, somewhere else by the Babylonian kingdom. Then, thankfully, the Persians come along and wipe out the Babylonians, and they make it possible, at least, for the people of God to come home all the way to Jerusalem, which, by the way, means city of peace, or more properly, the term Jerusalem means where peace lives. And they're finally able to come home to where peace lives, to Jerusalem, but there's great indication by the time you get to the end of, of the book of Isaiah, what we would call third Isaiah, there's great indication that things have gone so poorly that the people are about to give up hope. The people are starting to feel like that that sign around their necks that says condemned is gonna be there forever. And so the prophet comes and says, wait, 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 wait. Before you give up hope, I've got a poem, I've got a song, I've got something I need to tell you. Listen to this. This is Isaiah speaking for God. I'm about to create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered, 
or come to mind. This again will be someday a city that lives up to its name, the city of peace. Verse 18, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating, for I'm about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people, and no more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. Verse 20, no more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days. Before I read any more, I, I want to tell us something about us. Christians have this strange tendency to read beautiful language like we have here in Isaiah 65 or in Isaiah 11, a passage that has meant so much to this particular community of faith for decades now. Passages about worldwide peace, crazy stuff like wolves and lambs sitting together. Christians have the uncanny ability to nod their head, to acknowledge that they are in fact familiar with these very interesting verses that say such things about what it's gonna be like when we get to heaven after all dead. What I'm saying is sometimes Christians act like this is as good as it's going to get. And so all we can really do is sing the hopeful, happy songs and somehow ache for a tomorrow that can't get here soon enough. And another place, another place where perhaps God will do a better job of organizing creation so we won't have some of the infant mortality issues that we have now. It seems to me that this is not new for 2019 Christianity in Oklahoma City. That's a great place for an amen, whether you know it or not. <laughs> it seems like but always, forever, the people of God have struggled to believe that God could actually do anything about the here and now. Sure, we'll sing the cool songs. Sure, we'll paint the artistic pictures. Sure, we'll all kind of nod and lean back and forth in our pews and sing songs about heaven. But that's because things are so bad here, somewhere else has got to be. But what if God has in mind that things could be better now? What if God has in mind that God would like to see creation returned to a time and place when God called creation, remember? Good, 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 and very good. Sometimes, sometimes, the people of God have been guilty over the years. Obviously, I'm not talking about anybody in this room. But sometimes the people of God have been guilty of not believing what God believes about here. Verse 20, no more shall there be an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered a curse. They had seen so much war. They had seen so much violence. They had seen so much chaos and conflict that they were starting to believe that this was the norm, and that faith, whatever it meant, must mean that you just have to somehow gird up and adjust 
to that rather than adjust that. I will, I will say this to you. Christians have done far too much adjusting to the society and far too little adjusting society. <laughs> I think it's because, right there with Mary Magdalene, we wonder if this is all there is. To this war-torn city, Isaiah keeps speaking. No, no, no. It doesn't have to be like this. I know that you have this memory in which you've built houses, then your army gets routed, and the enemy comes and takes what the enemy wants because that's how the world has worked for you. The one who has the most bullets always wins. The one who has the most weapons always wins. But someday, you will build houses and inhabit them, actually live in them, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Verse 23, they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. I will be so close, says God. Someday I will be so close, says God, that before you answer, I will, before you call, I will answer. And while you are speaking, I will hear. Some very practical sorts of things that lead you to believe, and rightly so, by the way, that the good that God wants to do in and through us and on creation is not about sometime way in the future after we all die, but God wants some things to happen here, and so we need to hear these kinds of words a little differently now, right? Words like this, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, stupid snake, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. But they did not believe it. All kinds of indications that though this poetry is beautiful, beautiful enough to be believed, beautiful enough to inspire the imagination, it seems to be the case that they did not believe. So maybe they too were a little bit like Mary. Man, if only it could have been true. Perhaps that's what she thought. Maybe she approached the tomb that morning believing, whew, the voices are gaining on me. The old voices are gaining on me. And there was a time when the voice of Christ, there was a time when the voice of Christ was going to protect me and overcome all those other voices that shoved me into the corner called demon possession. But man, Jesus seems awfully dead. I don't know if you watch TV, but it seems like God's dead sometimes. Even in the way that Christians sort of live their lives and embody faith, it seems like God is dead. Because everybody seems to be waiting 
and biding their time and protecting themselves from the inevitability of a society in steep decline. Look around you. Maybe we have a lot in common with Mary Magdalene. She went and told that the disciples that, wait a minute, someone has rolled this, this stone away from the tomb and believing that someone had done something to the body or with the body, she goes and tells Jesus and Simon Peter, they come looking, they run, they see it, they run back, and she's left there again. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, <laughs> why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken, she still doesn't believe in the resurrection. They've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. And when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, <laughs> Why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener because she was crying that much. She said to him, sir, if you're the culprit, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will go and get him. And then, his voice broke through her doubts. The voice that had become so familiar to her, the voice, the same voice that had faced down all of these other demons, let's say, all of these other voices that had pushed her to the edges of society, the one that she thought had died was standing behind her. She couldn't tell it by looking at him, but when she heard her name in his mouth, she knew that she was going to be okay. Did you catch that? Wondering, as she must have been wondering, whether or not the other voices were ultimately gonna win because they had killed the one who told her a different story about herself when she finally turned around and not only saw him, but more importantly, heard his voice again saying, Mary, she knew. We won. We won. <laughs> Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. These things, stuff like this, I'm not nearly finished yet. You can't hang on to me and keep me right here because we're going to unleash resurrection on the rest of creation. So why is it that Christians seem to be more interested in living in the shadow of the cross than in the light of the resurrection? Why is it that so many Christians sing sad songs <laughs> and seem to always be adjusting to an inevitable society rather than armed with resurrection, light and wind and breath, why aren't we more often adjusting society? Resurrection, 
restores, and renovates. Now, we like these stories, right? We like to see people restored and renovated. We, we love those. We like to put these people on video, right? Restored and renovated. We, we kind of like it when guitars and pianos get restored and renovated, so we kind of see it around us. This house got renovated after the big storm, and it's now restored and renovated, another great house. This is a cool house. This is the before, and here comes the after. We like these stories of resurrection, renovation, restoration. I'm telling you, we need to like them more and more and more. We need to keep around us more examples, more stories of resurrection, renovation, because perhaps in keeping all of those sorts of things around us, we'll be reminded of what it is that God is doing and how we can help. That's the bus. Now, one of the things that I really like about uh, DIY shows is this part. There's always a time-lapse video. <laughs> Notice that? There's always a time-lapse video, and it really seems like because of the time-lapse video, given the constraints of TV time, right, it really seems like that all this work is easy and happens really fast. You and I know that that's not true, right? But I'm going to keep around us projects that have to do with restoration and renovation because you may be Mary Magdalene here today. It may be that somehow you have wondered whether or not you have had the condemned sign around your neck. And it may be that somehow you have forgotten that the voice that wins the day is the voice that called Mary by name on resurrection day. Maybe if I can keep around us these different projects of renovation and restoration and get you to help me every chance I get, maybe it will help to start to shape your imagination. Jason, come help me do something here. It turns out we're going to have a, another restoration project. Um, I love these four stained glass windows. I really do. But there was a fifth, and I didn't know anything about it until not too long ago. There was a fifth that for whatever reason did not get put up on site. We didn't know it till a while back. We were told about it by the architect for this building who said, hey, you better come get this old window. And I said, what old window? He said, oh, it's the fifth. It's the fifth window. I said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, we made a fifth window, but we didn't ever incorporate it into the other building. You need to come get it. Well, that was 35 years after it was made. And it is slowly but surely deteriorating. It needs to be restored. If you have an idea for how we might be able to restore renovate this window and then present it out there, please let me know. We're probably not going to let you put it in the back of your pickup and take it today. But we really do want to have your help to think through how might it look if we were to renovate or restore that window, which by the way is this window, which by the way, I told you we we're going to do this. We've already set up. It's okay. You can go ahead turn and look. We have four LED light cannons there back there at the back. They're installed, it's ready to go. Not last night because it was Holy Saturday, but tonight, the night of Easter, and every night after this, at 10 o'clock or what time? Aaron, when will those lights come on? So those lights will come on at 7.30, the parking lot lights out front will go off at 10, and all night, Oklahoma City will see what it is that we intend for them to see about this God who chases the hundred sheep. Another renovation project gone right. 
spirit of resurrection and renovation and restoration is alive and well and has something for you. Hear this. The resurrection in all of its glory is as big as God wants it to be and as small as you need it to be. And I say that knowing that cancer tightens its grip. I say that knowing that marriages still fail. I say that knowing that addiction is still a thing. I say that knowing that war still happens somewhere. But we are the people. We are the people who give the world something else, something more, something better to think about. I love this. (laughs) Saw this. Thank you, Rhonda Westcott. Do not abandon yourselves to despair. We are the Easter people, and hallelujah is our song. Okay. There is no better way to end this sermon than with the hallelujah chorus. We normally do this at the very end. That is our tradition. But it fits better here. And then after this, we will do communion and take the offering. So please don't leave, okay? But there is no better way to end this than with a song written in 1741, by the way. Do you know how many songs have been written since 1741? Lots of songs have been written and forgotten. Condemned, you should say. Condemned. But when we bring this song back to life, when we address it and renew it and restore it, man, it does something to us and for us. Okay. All of you who are a part of this choir and all of you who have ever sung the Hallelujah Chorus, now we're drafting some of you, right? If you've ever sung the Hallelujah Chorus, you are hereby deputized. You need to come quickly. We need you to go ahead and come on up. We have had as many as 50, 60, 70. Do not think that I am not somehow able to call you out. If you have sung this song before, yep, because there you go. So if you got up, just heard me say that. I so will call you out. If you have ever sung the Hallelujah Chorus, then come on up, we're gonna just kind of gather in, just find an open space behind me. And after this, after this, Dr. Mark, we're gonna go and uh, do um, communion after this, but go ahead and come on up. Anybody else I can embarrass? I mean, call into the ministry. Anybody else? All right. Now, as is the tradition, anytime the Hallelujah Chorus is sung, the proper response of the people who become a congregation, not just an audience, even if you're not singing, the proper response is to stand. So stand with me as we celebrate this last move here for the sermon about resurrection.
coming down. Go ahead. Oh, man. You can have a seat, everybody, because we are about to do what we do to continue to participate in the ongoingness of the resurrection. If you are helping us to serve communion, go ahead and take your places. So good to see all of you today. Thank you for being a part of this entire week. Thank you very much. If you are visiting with us today, each week we take communion by intention, and I'm about to explain what that means. But hear this before we get into it. Everyone is invited, but if you would prefer not to participate, we completely understand you can just keep your seat. No one will be compelled to participate, but you are, in fact, invited to participate. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And with them, God, strengthen us, strengthen our minds, our wills, Strengthen our bodies, strengthen our senses of imagination. Remind us today as we take into our hands these tangible symbols of broken body and shed blood and all of the chaos and all of the violence and all of the death that are somehow bound up in this particular story. Help us to re remember that this story ends in resurrection. And help us to remember, too, Lord, that we are participating in your resurrection by being people who live in this light. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And I'll have you exit your pew to the left, to your left, and to come forward with your hands cupped, your hands cupped to receive a piece of bread. You'll walk towards somebody holding a plate of bread. That person will take a piece Press it into your hands and say this to you. This is the body of Christ broken for you. You know what? Today we're going to say something different. Because it is the day of resurrection, each time someone places something into your hand, they will say something like this. He is risen. And then with the cup, he is risen indeed. Does that make sense to all of you servers? With the bread, say he is risen. And with the cup, say he is risen indeed. So that then, as you eat and drink, you are not just eating and drinking of the story and of the memory of the crucifixion, but also, but also of the resurrection. So you'll have a piece of bread pressed into your hands, but don't eat it just yet, but dip it into the cup. When you do, that person holding the cup will say to you, he is risen indeed. So he is risen, he is risen indeed. And then take and eat, and then if you would, find a place, find a place to pray. If you come to one of these side padded altars up front, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing. And someone will come and meet you there and pray that prayer for healing and anoint you with oil. There's nothing magical about the oil except that it is symbolic of the clinging presence of the Spirit who can heal. And if you need physical, mental, emotional, relational, familial healing, we will meet you there and pray that prayer. If you come to one of these front mourner's benches, these places to kneel, we won't assume a thing, but we will at some point come and touch you, the back, the neck, the head, the shoulder, just to let you know that you are not alone. You can circle right back around and pray at your seats. That is just fine. But do, please, continue to pray. If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie will come to you. I've already kind of said it. Who is welcome at this table? You may be asking yourself, I don't know if I qualify. 
if you understand and recognize your need for God's grace, then you're qualified. You're qualified. Doesn't matter what happened this morning. Had a really hard morning? Lots of people did. (laughs) Had a tough week, tough month? Not alone. Failed miserably? Ah, resurrection's for you, Mary. Resurrection's for you. There's a bowl of water here meant to help you remember the moment of your baptism if you need to be reminded that you are in fact included. Then come down here and just dip your fingers in this water. And if you haven't been baptized, let us know because we're pretty good at that here too. We would love to help you understand your chosenness into this kingdom. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time, including today, every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way, he would take the cup and hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant shed for you. And every time you drink it, including today, remember me. And today we are remembering that he is risen. So there's hope for you. There's hope for me, there's hope for us, there's hope for the world. All across the sanctuary now, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and all who are willing, come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of grace meant for the people of God.